about everything that can help heal your neurology, which is really everything from food, lifestyle, and medicine to nature, culture, and politics. There's no topic too big or too small. I'm Jillian Ehrlich, family nurse practitioner certified in Ayurveda and functional medicine. And I am so pleased to have our guest here today, Jeannie Debon is a movement therapist specializing in hypermobility, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, chronic pain, and getting more and more deep into mast cell activation syndrome. She has over a decade of experience in supporting clients with pain management through movement and is the author of two books, Pilates Without Tears and Hypermobility Without Tears, and contributes to media, including Huffington Post, The Mighty, and Thrive Global on the topics of chronic illness and disability. She comes to this work honestly, rooted in the experience of chronic pain living within her own hypermobile, bendy, unstable body. Her way out was through moving inward and paying attention to subtle movements. Her formal training began with Pilates and grew to include courses on biomechanics, anatomy, neuroscience, and lifestyle medicine. From this and thousands of her own clients, she's developed the IMM, the Integral Movement Method, which is a no-pain, no-strain strategy of embodiment, literally being in one's body. The IMM is endorsed by doctors and physiotherapists and has helped people around the world through her books and video courses. She founded the Zebra Club Online, which you can find at her website, Jeannie Debon, J-E-A-N-N-I-E-D-I-B-O-N.com backslash products backslash hashtag Zebra Club. And you can find this online as a comprehensive collection of movement solutions for people with hypermobility, EDS, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, post-surgical needs, and injury rehabilitation, low back, and for other chronic pain. She continues to see clients privately, and you can find more about her and her programs at her website, JeannieDebon.com. So welcome. We're so pleased to have you. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me. It's uh, my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have a handle, a real handle on the <laughs> physical embodiment, the embodiment pieces of what we do. Mm. We talk so much about, we think about fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue as systemic or metabolic issues, but really we do live mm -hmm. in this physical body. So tell us yeah. a little bit, what is hypermobility? What are we talking about here? Well, so the official definition of hypermobility, obviously, is somebody whose joints move beyond what we might consider the normal range. And recently, that's been updated to say that this can or cannot cause pain, typically, because historically, you were often told that hypermobility doesn't cause pain. So people were, you know, confused and sent away thinking, you know, what's wrong with me if pain, you know, I'm told it doesn't cause pain. But of course, we know, and I know, being hypermobile um, EDS myself, that hypermobility does cause pain. So hypermobility, you know, it's the people who can be good at yoga positions that other people might feel challenging. But there's a whole other side to that, because aside from hypermobility, as you've mentioned, we have the conditions such as Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or hypermobility spectrum disorder, Marfan syndrome, fibromyalgia. So people with fibromyalgia are often found to have EDS or hypermobility as well. So there's this whole soft tissue element to it um, that does cause pain. And as you say, I see people in my clinic that 99% of them come to see me because they're in pain. And we look at their movement to see how we can improve that um, movement to help them get out of pain. And really um, looking at the movement and how they move and range of movement and quality of the movement really, really does help people get out of pain. So I see it every single day. And do you see pain when we're talking about pain? Where do you see people having pain? In joints where? or muscles? Yeah, where? To be honest, <laughs> every single person I see is different. 
Mm-hmm. So it can be everywhere or anywhere. So some people have widespread pain, you know, in soft tissue, in joints. Some people will only have it in a couple of joints. So they have a shoulder issue or a hip issue or an ankle issue. But honestly, every single person, and I've seen lots and lots of people, <laughs> no two people have ever been the same. And I think this is the nature of this condition. You know, if you're talking about EDS, Ehlers-Danlos, it can present itself so differently because it's a collagen-based defect of the tissue. That, that tissue is everywhere. Our connective tissue is everywhere. Our fascia is everywhere. So it can affect people so differently. You know, and so it's really odd because some people, and you probably know, have peripheral hypermobility where only their sort of arms and leg joints are mobile. And some people have it all over their body and some people only have it in their center. So as a practitioner, it's fascinating because I see all these different presentations. But as someone who has it, it's obviously very challenging sometimes to live with. And that's what really drives me is to help people manage this condition. Because obviously, you know, it is a management at the moment. You know, there is no cure. So it's how do we manage this and help people live life to the best of their ability without pain to the best of our ability. What are the ways that this hypermobility, what are the ways that this collagen defect can impact a life? What might mm. people be experiencing? Well, and you know, people come to see me for their musculoskeletal so it can affect obviously that system quite significantly. And you'll you'll see things like soft, stretchy skin, you know, stretch marks. Very stretchy skin is a trademark of somebody who has EDS, for example. So you've got that layer, which is what I deal with. But because the collagen is everywhere in your body, it can affect multiple systems. So if I take myself as an example, I have um, a heart issue. I've had pneumonia three times, so my my lungs are are compromised. I have digestive issues, IBS, SIBO. I have mast cell activation, which, you know, is a new emerging, you know, not a lot was known about that until Mm -hmm. recently, but there's a relationship between EDS and mast cell, and we're not quite sure why. So it can affect every system in the body. And I see that all the time. You know, it's multi-systemic. So someone can come. And that's the issue we have, of course, is that people go to their doctors or their medical practitioners and they have this long list and they say, well, I have, you know, this and this and I have, you know, I get palpitations and I feel dizzy when I stand up and I get these terrible headaches and I've got jaw pain and my knee hurts and my, you know, I need orthotics and you know, I've got problems with my bladder and uh, and the doctor's like, well, you know, the problem we've had, certainly in the UK, I'm based in London and I it's far wide, is that nobody's joining the dots. You know, mm-hmm. it took me 35 years to get my diagnosis and I'm mm-hmm. not alone and I hear it all the time, you know, that mm-hmm. it takes people years and years to get their diagnosis because nobody still is looking at that and saying, that's a bit odd. How come this person's got all these different issues? But that's the nature of how a condition like this can affect somebody because mm-hmm. it's everywhere. And some people are very mild. I would consider myself fairly mild despite having that long list of symptoms. I can still work. You know, I, I, I work pretty much full time. You know, I'm pretty functional. And of course, you have people at the other end of the spectrum who are maybe bed bound or, they, or they're in, in a wheelchair that, you know, it's a really vast spectrum. And that's, again, another interesting aspect of it but also makes it challenging to manage. So yeah, it's, it's a huge, huge array of symptoms that can present themselves. 
And it's interesting to think about because in medicine, we're often trained to treat the disease rather than the person where we focus on what are the Mm -hmm. criteria for this disease. And so if this disease happens connective tissue throughout the body Mm -hmm. and can present so dramatically different in different patients, then Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to formulate diagnostic criteria specific to all of these systems. And so if you're listening at home, if you are, what I see commonly, things I see commonly, I'm sure you see this as well, is people come in and they say, oh, well, these are the party tricks I can do. If you have done party tricks with your body since you were a kid, um, then you likely have some (laughs) element of hypermobility. Yeah. And of course, um, just to add on that, if you can do party tricks, um, I would ask that you stop doing your party (laughs) party tricks because... (laughs) They don't make things any better. I know, you know, they, especially little children, they, you know, they can impress their friends by doing all these weird things. You know, some people can sublux their shoulders and pop them back in. I would say, please, please stop doing that because <laughs> you're making everything weaker and, and less stable. So, uh-huh. yeah, just a little tip there. <laughs> Let's talk about for in your book. So your book is excellent. And thank you. Your information is so well organized and so well structured. I think for a bendy person, you have a very well structured book. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Something has to be structured, right? My body isn't. I I better make something structured. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Get the good container. Yes. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you talk about. You talk about six important principles for having a body with Mm -hmm. hypermobility. And I'm just going to name these and then let's go into depth. So they include breath, relaxation, proprioception, stability, balance, and posture. So let's start with breath. Tell us about breath. Yeah. 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 So that's one of my favorite topics is breath. That's why it's number one. Um, But it's number one because this is where I always start when I see people. What I've seen is that we tend to brace. We call it bracing. I think you call it guarding where you're kind of I call it full stability. So we kind of hold ourselves using our diaphragm almost as a stabilizer for the trunk. And Mm. so a lot of the upper body and the neck muscles, they get over recruited, they get very stiff and, and you work as stabilizers. And then you're not really getting that full capacity of your breath. This thoracic spine becomes very stiff and immobile. And obviously that alone causes problems. So I like to get people to learn how to breathe. Basically, oftentimes we spend the first session just working on breath. And so many times that's when people discover these holding patterns for the first time in their life. So it can be quite emotional because Mm. if you've held everything up here in your chest and in your shoulders and your neck for, you know, 10, 15 years, and then somebody allows you or teaches you how to let go, it's a very emotional time, which is good because, you know, you have to let this stuff out. Also, if you've been living in pain for many years or in fear of movement, which a lot of people with these conditions are scared to move because it hurts or they're scared they're going to dislocate or all sorts of things. Or a lot of time people have had bad experiences with movement. You know, they've tried exercise. It didn't work very well. So they're scared. So we become very sort of internalized, very, you know, bringing ourselves into our sort of center to protect ourselves which is understandable. It's a normal response. But if you've been doing that for 10 years, your tissue has become very tight, very stiff. So letting that go, and I think we're going to talk about it later, but I call it unwinding. So you have to have this period of unwinding tension, unwinding the tissue, and just letting your body settle again. So it's all about just settling. And of course, breathing is great for the nervous system. So 
instant calming, you know, a bit like meditation, focusing on the breath starts to calm the nervous system down. So that's my first principle. And it really goes hand in hand with the second one, which is relaxation. Because when people start to focus on breath and understand their breath, they instantly start to relax. And my theory of movement is that, you know, oftentimes people are given exercises to do by, you know, physios or whoever, PTs, but they're already so wound up they haven't done the unwinding. So you're trying to strengthen somebody who's already in a state of muscle contraction. So unless we unwind and let the muscle and the tissue come to its relaxed state, you can't then strengthen it. You can't strengthen a tense muscle is, is what I'm trying to say. You've got mm-hmm. to let it go. You've got to unwind it. Almost wipe the slate clean, erase the hard drive. They can actually drop and relax. And then we kind of start again. Mm. So we start the process again. So once we've got the breath and we've got the relaxation, people start to, and it moves on to proprioception, people start to really become more aware of their bodies. And, you know, that's at the heart of my method is building sensory awareness for somebody, especially when you have a condition like hypermobility, because we know that people with hypermobility tend to lack proprioception. They have trouble controlling their joints. They don't know where their body is in space. You know, we bump into things. So getting some sensory awareness, allowing the body to settle, starting to feel your own body weight is a great way of starting to work on your proprioception. And once you start working on that, you know, understanding range of movements, how to control joints, what does a locked joint, you know, because some people are totally unaware that they lock their joints Mm -hmm. because it's normal. They've done it their whole life. And when they actually realize, oh, actually, I don't have to lock my elbow every time I lift my arm up or when I stand, I don't have to hyperextend my knees. It's a whole new ball game. So that comes under the sort of proprioception. So spending that time with the breath, noticing all those very subtle movements It's not a mechanical process, so I don't teach exercise as such. It's not like do this exercise and you have to do it this way and it has to look like this. Mm -hmm. It's like, how does it feel? You know, I'm always asking people, what does that feel like? What are you experiencing? Because then they start to build that internal support system. You know, this feels good. This doesn't feel so good. Okay, And we can anchor onto the feelings that feel good. So I want to just ask you a few questions about these things, because it's so fascinating what you're talking about. The proprioception piece, first of all, can you give Mm. uh, listeners at home just a definition of what proprioception is? Yes. So proprioception is basically means, you know, where is my body in space? So where are my joints? Where What's my body doing? So if you have hypermobility, you might be able to, if you're lying on the ground, say, lift your arms up and put them all the way back to the floor and they're totally flat on the floor and it feels perfectly normal to you. So you have no real concept of how to control your arms and where they are in the body. They just kind of flop to the floor. So proprioception is really understanding how your body is moving and how to control it in that moving space. Um, And it's a huge part of what I do. And can you talk a little bit about interoception? The internal sensing of the body, the way that, because we think about sensing as like, you know, our five senses, what we see, hear, taste, smell, and touch. But what is interoception that we feel on the inside? So, yeah, it's really about, you know, what's going on inside your body. And it's really interesting. This is, you know, something that fascinates me because we know that people with EDS, for example, have issues with that internal system like heart rate, palpitations, um, autonomic system, which is all this system deep inside the body. 
And yet we have issues with that. And I, I wonder how it's linked to that into interoception, that we're not aware of that. You know, we can't control that. So, yeah, it's really that sense of how do I feel inside? You know, what's going on? Can, do I feel calm? Do I feel my breath? Um, am I aware of how I feel inside the body? And actually focusing inwards for a change. It's often a very new experience for people, but I think it's really powerful if you can build that for people. For so many folks who I think many of us are born hypermobile. And so for people who have struggled with hypermobility since early childhood, who have struggled with running or jumping Mm. or, you know, moving the body, then sometimes the body has either not been a safe place or, you know, you've experienced pain that you were told was not happening. And so there's ways that we learn to, I think there's ways that we self-train or is trained into us to not perceive so, or that we don't believe our perceptions. Exactly, exactly. There's a lot of that. You know, if you're told that the pain can't be real or it's in your head or are you making it up or, you know, people are told you're too young to have so much pain, you know. So if you grow up, as you say, as a child having pain or maybe you're told they're just growing pains, but you never grow out of them. Yeah, you start to doubt yourself. You start to really internalize that pain. And then we get issues like that central sensitization where everything You know, I see a lot of that where the slightest stimulation causes a disproportionate amount of pain. And how do we calm that sensitization down Mm -hmm. so that we can start to improve our sort of pain signals and they're not sort of firing, overfiring, misfiring for people? Yeah, it's fascinating. It is. is. And that interoception piece, we do have nerve endings Mm. into many of our visceral organs. Yes, We were talking last week in our podcast about how they're in the external capsule of the kidney. We know that there's a ton of sensory nerves that innervate the gut so that we can have severe pain with bloating or heartburn. You know, we think we're having a heart attack. It literally comes as a signal like we're about to die and it might, it's, you know, not infrequently gas. So we do have serious nerves in there that give us what we perceive as serious messages And so that, you know, they also, if they're in connective tissue that is not structured, not stable, then they often will fire at inappropriate times or not fire when they need to fire. So that can be a very confused signal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's all in that makeup, isn't it, of the the collagen. It's uh, interesting. There's new research coming out. It's not published yet, but the first research is coming out into EDS and fascia Mm -hmm. and um, pain. Um, so at the moment, there's only an abstract available from the Stecco family. I don't know if you're aware of um, Carla and Antonio Stecco, who are very well known in the fascial world. And they've done some amazing research into pain and EDS. And it's never happened before into fascia mm. and EDS and pain. So that will be really interesting oh, um, fascinating. when they look into that. But it's all to do with how that collagen is laid down. And it's kind of instead of being a nice matrix, it's mm-hmm. kind of a bit disjointed. So mm-hmm. how is that affecting the messaging and, you know, the proprioception? Because fascia is, you know, the biggest proprioceptor in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, how is it all being affected? So, yeah, that'll be really interesting when that comes out. And a lot of those connective cells as well carry mast cells, right? So yes. that is part of that relationship mm-hmm. and communication. So if you're having stretchy collagen or if it's not laid down clearly or if it's 
triggering mast cells, even movement, you know, we even we yes. know that pressure, temperature changes, things that impact yes. our connective tissue can trigger mast cell activation yeah. or mast cell release. Then suddenly we have another inflammatory uh, signal happening within that tissue. Absolutely. And it, again, that explains how the mast cells can affect so many different parts of the body mm-hmm. anywhere. You know. Absolutely. So breath, and one of the concepts that I love that you talked about is 3D breathing. Can you just touch on that? Yeah. It's so excellent. So, you know, it comes down to this, um, you know, the fact that I see a lot of people who aren't making the most of it, maybe don't connect with their breath and, and you know, because it can be such a joy. It can be such a, an instant karma that people aren't getting that. So, yeah, I, I teach people to breathe in different positions because then you can expand that tissue in different places. So um, a lot of the time, if you're lying on your back, obviously the front of your ribs, we do a bit on the side, which is really, really useful. And, you know, maybe putting someone over a little mini barrel or something like that so they can open up the side of their ribs and finding that they can actually breathe into the side of their rib cage and find that expansion again is often a new experience. And then lying on your tummy prone, um, again, quite challenging for people because most people don't breathe into the back of their body. You know, a lot of people are belly breathers and if you're stressed, obviously it becomes quite shallow sort of hyperventilating type breath. So finding that you're, you can actually expand the back of your body when you breathe. And obviously our lung tissue is mostly in the back of our body is quite a new experience for people, you know, so hands-on tactile, the days obviously when you can do tactile <laughs> hearing right. is really, really important so that then they start to, when they, when they're upright, they're functioning in real life, they can feel that three-dimensional expansion of the rib cage, And so all those muscles, the intercostal muscles, they're all getting a little massage as they quite rightly should every time you take a breath. And what I found, again, you know, it's not that I've researched it, but through doing that, I've never had a client ever sublux a rib when I've been working with them. So obviously rib subluxations are quite a big deal. They can happen quite a lot for many people. So my theory is that if we're not breathing properly and the thoracic spine, the rib cage area gets tight and then you turn or you twist to pick something up, if you haven't got that elasticity in those muscles in between the ribs, is that enough that when I turn, I'm going to pop a rib? I mean, I don't know. That's just my theory, because what I found is that as people get more bouncy, you know, the rib cage should have a bit of bounce to it. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be a rib cage, you know, mm-hmm. it's not a cage. It's actually a... <laughs> You're not <laughs> but, you know, trapped inside of there. <laughs> exactly. But most people, well, most, that's the wrong word, but a lot of people are because the ribs Mm -hmm. don't move. Mm -hmm. They just don't move. They're held with so much tension Mm. that it's wonderful to get that moving. And it's Mm -hmm. like, wow, you know, sometimes I say I spend the first session just working on breath and people come back the next week. We haven't Mm -hmm. done any movement. We've just done breath and they say, oh, I feel so much better. I feel Mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. It's like all we did is work on the breath because Mm -hmm. that alone just makes people feel better. And then you can start the movement. So, yeah. Really, really important getting that 3D breathing technique and easily done at home. People can do this at home. Of course, you don't need any fancy equipment. Mm -hmm. Although certainly having, you know, and there are probably some folks listening who will be able to buy your cueing, be able to go home and say, all right, I need to try this. I need to pay attention. But certainly having somebody watch you to say, oh, you know, can be very helpful. Yeah. 
Well, we were talking a little bit um, before the show about yoga and how, you know, for hypermobile people, I I was a person who uh, was not great at sports, but really excelled from day one at yoga because I could really just lean into those joints and and bend them as a fairly hypermobile person. But that I really yes. had to be trained out of that. And so yoga is something else that should be done with attention and guidance so that you're not yes. just relying on the bendiness of your joints as opposed to Absolutely. what your muscles are doing and yeah. that you're actually finding an alignment as opposed to just uh, degrees of fold. Yeah, exactly. And I think it comes back to that, you know, sensory awareness, that proprioception, mm-hmm. because, you know, I think yoga often gets a bad press for hypermobile people and they're told don't do yoga. But you know, it's often not the exercise that's the problem. It's the approach to the exercise that's the problem. Pilates, you know, I trained in Pilates and there's a lot of that that I would never teach to any of my clients because it's Uh not appropriate, you Uh know? So it's really how we modify and adapt those exercises to suit the individual. So, yeah, I mean, I love yoga too, but Um, In my 20s, I used to do it a lot and I always had back pain because back then I didn't have any awareness. I didn't Mm. understand anything. Now I can do yoga. I absolutely love it because Mm -hmm. I understand my body. I can control it. I have much more, you know, proprioception. Mm -hmm. I'm aware of my body. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, yeah, with the right teacher, you know, absolutely. Yes. Some of my best teachers, I went in, you know, with pride about how flexible I was and they would all go, oh, God, stop that. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you doing that? And I'd say, no, no, this is, you know, this is how flexible I am and how what a great yogini. And they'd say, oh, God, please, please don't. (laughs) (laughs) We need more teachers like that. That's great. (laughs) So that gets into kind of the stiffness versus elasticity component. So we Mm. do if, you know, if folks are hypermobile or very bendy, then, you know, we need to strengthen appropriately in alignment to find some support from our tissues, correct? Yes, that's Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. So stability obviously is an important part of it. But again, what kind of stability? Because we Mm -hmm. don't want rigidity, and bracing or guarding that's not stability that's false stability that's elasticity you know that elastic recoil of the tissue so stability does not mean rigidity stability means like you say being able to organize the body so that it's it's in a good alignment without hyperextending any of the joints then you're going to have a much better chance of being stable um rather than bracing and fixing. You know, I don't want people fixing themselves into a position and thinking they're stable. So yes, stability is the next sort of element of my method. And I don't start really talking about that to people until they've got that proprioception underway, that they kind of start to have an understanding of how the body really does move. So it's breath, relaxation, proprioception, and now let's dive into stability a little bit more. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about core muscles and recruitment and stretching? Yeah. So, well, this is probably, you know, where I'm a little different to Mm -hmm. other people. Um, So certainly in Pilates, the core is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And we're told to pull in our pelvic floors and our transverse abdominals, which are the lower abdominal muscles. And, And again, really brace or guard those muscles before you move. And I've, that is one element that I wholeheartedly don't approve of. I don't do, I don't teach it. 
because for many reasons, and I talk about it a lot in the book, but it's for one thing, it's just not natural. Okay. We don't go around every day holding in our pelvic floors or our tummy muscles Mm -hmm. to do our everyday life, I hope. Because what I've seen, you know, and people are taught this, you know, we're taught that that's to protect your back. Well, you know, your back is a very strong, organized structure. It doesn't need protecting. You know, it it doesn't need protecting. If your body is well organized and you're using it properly, you don't need to protect your back. So what I found is that people who come to see me and they've been taught to pull in this pelvic floor, hold in their tummy, they're in pain because they are guarding and everything becomes stiff. So we've got that rigidity. Now, when I teach them to stop doing that, to learn to work with the breath, so we know that the breath, obviously the diaphragm is obviously involved, but the diaphragm is also very good friends with the pelvic floor. So pelvic floor and diaphragm are moving together. Now, if you're holding in your pelvic floor while you're exercising, how is your diaphragm and the pelvic floor talking to each other? They're not. The diaphragm and the pelvic floor have to move together. So if you're holding something in, you're going to start causing this sort of weird blockage in your system, which can then lead to all sorts of issues. So people come to see me, they've got low back pain, hip pain, you know, even abdominal pain, hip flexors are super tight, all these things because they've been bracing and guarding these muscles for so long. Um, So I'm not a fan of the core being this middle bit in our body. I, for me, I think a core comes from a from the whole body, a well-organized body from the feet to the head. Now, if that's well-organized, you're going to find those core muscles if you want to talk about core muscles. But they don't work on their own. They don't work in isolation. They're all connected to something else. So it's a real disservice to just focus on those few muscles and think that that's going to solve all your problems because it's not. Having a strong core, if we're talking core in the traditional sense, won't really fix your neck pain Mm -hmm. or your shoulder pain. It could actually exacerbate it. So I'm probably a little different in my views there. (laughs) But there's also research to prove that, you know, Liederman, who published the research paper on this, there's no evidence that that is actually what was meant by that original paper about core. They didn't Mm. want people to go around, start bracing their muscles And there's no actual evidence that that does any, can actually do more harm than good. So I think, you know, people have to treat that carefully, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the core. That's the core of the core. That's the (laughs) core of the core. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, recruitment, you know, people are told to recruit their core muscles. And I'm not sure, you know, they're told recruit them 30 percent, recruit them 40 percent, you know. The body doesn't work in percentages. Mm -hmm. It's a sensory organ. What is 40%? What does that even mean? You know, (laughs) Uh I don't, it just doesn't make sense. My body's like, well, what, what is that? Mm -hmm. Because if you can teach the, the great thing about the body is you can teach it a feeling. You can teach it anything you want and it will remember it. And it will be like, yeah, oh, you mean this, this feeling? Yes, that I can do that. It -hmm. doesn't understand your body doesn't even know what a bicep is or a hamstring is. We know that because we've learned it. And somebody, you know, a long time ago wrote that on a sheet of paper and said, this is a hamstring, this is a bicep. But the brain doesn't know that. So the brain, why would it want to work in 30, 40% recruitment of muscles? It just, it wants to work with feelings and senses, like animals, really, you know, animals don't go around bracing their pelvic floors when they, 
but the uh-huh. children don't you know children yeah. in a playground they don't climb on their climbing frame and say oh hold on I've got to brace my abdominal muscles before right. I climb up thank goodness they don't you know they move with fluidity yeah. and why just because we're adults why should that be any different mm-hmm. that's what I never understood so you you tell people to go to a Pilates class and do this bracing and recruitment for an hour of a class, mm-hmm. then what? Do you do that for the rest of your life or do you just do it for an hour when you're in your class? Mm-hmm. I, d- I didn't ever understand that. I want my body to work normally, functionally. I want my pelvic floor. I'm not saying your pelvic floor and your tummy shouldn't work. Of course they should. But they should be responding to the load that you put through your body. Mm-hmm. If I pick up a very heavy box yeah, or try and move furniture... Yes, I'm going to need some abdominal support and, you know, my pelvic floor will probably draw up and help. But if I'm just lying on the ground, lifting my arms up and down, do I need to brace my abdominal muscles? I don't think I do Mm -hmm. because there's not enough load going through the system. What are the ways that we should be thinking about our bodies with a more sedentary life? Because certainly we were built to move in a certain Mm. way that I would say more than half of us no longer do. Especially now, of course, so many people are staying at home more than we would normally. You know, and and our lifestyles, you know, our phones, everything, they've made it more so, right? You can do everything you want from an iPhone. You can watch TV, you can order your dinner, you can, you don't even have to get out of your chair the whole day just to go to the bathroom and that's it. Everything's there. So, yeah, the body is suffering. I hate to say it. The body is suffering because of that. You know, people are, hamstrings are getting tighter, glutes are getting weaker, our cardio fitness is going down. So, you know, I really encourage people to move little and often. And if you're in pain and, and you're listening to this and you think, oh, well, I, you know, go to the gym and work out for three hours. But, you know, have a little walk around your garden or around your street or climb the stairs instead of, you know, little things. Mm -hmm. Keep that tissue moving because when you sit for a long period of time, the fascia, which is obviously made up of the collagen, is part of our connective tissue, starts to dehydrate. Mm -hmm. So when that fascia starts to dehydrate, it starts to lose its ability to glide. Yeah. So for us to move pain free, our tissues need to glide on each other. Mm -hmm. And then you get pain. When that doesn't happen, things get sticky. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you try and move and there's not so much gliding, there's a bit of pulling, there's a bit of torsion. Mm -hmm. So that happens when the fascia starts to dehydrate. Now, the only way to hydrate your fascia is to move. So you can drink water, but it's not really going to be enough. The only way the fascia likes to be hydrated is by movement. And it doesn't matter what you do. You can sit at your desk and do a little side stretch, do a bit of rotation, whatever it is. But if you sit for eight hours a day at your computer your body's not going to be very happy yes, because it's going to get sticky. And then the thing is, we go to bed and we haven't moved all day. So we sleep for eight hours, if we're lucky, eight hours. Uh-huh. And, and we get up and we feel stiff. And it's like, yeah. well, yeah, because you haven't moved for, you know, 24 hours or whatever. And then you go and sit at your desk again. And it just goes on and on and on. <laughs> and yep. two years down the line, people go, oh, I've got terrible backache. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, well, that didn't just happen. Mm-hmm. That didn't just happen overnight. Mm-hmm. That's been something that's built built up for the past two years. So your body mm-hmm. doesn't just norm unless you have a massive trauma, you fall down the stairs or something happens. You don't mm-hmm. tend to just wake up and suddenly go, oh, I'm in absolute. You know, that's been building up. 
normally. Yeah, yeah not always, yeah. of course, but oftentimes it's accumulation of lots of things. So talk to us about balance. Yeah. So this is um, the next principle in my method for hypermobility, obviously important, in, you know, in lots of ways. Balance as in physical balance. So, you know, lots of people struggle with walking, for example, and walking is an act of balancing. You have to put one foot on the ground, take the other one off. So training people how to interact with the ground, with their feet. So in my book, there's a big chapter on the feet that comes mm-hmm. under balance because the feet obviously are the <clears throat> things that connect with the ground most of the time. So a lot of footwork, a lot of connecting the feet to the ground, understanding how the feet work, um, really, really important. The feet are really our foundations because every time the foot hits the ground when you're walking, it draws up the pelvic floor and, and contracts the abdominal wall. So that's what I meant about this whole system of core muscles. Mm-hmm. It's not just this isolated little group of muscles. So yeah, balance as in how do I stand on one leg? How do I walk? Things like that are functional for everyday life, but also the whole balance through the whole system, you know, the front and the back of the body, the left and the right of the body. I work a lot on that because oftentimes people, may, and again, not aware of it, but 80% of their weight are going through one leg and then they've got, you know, hip pain or shoulder pain. So how can we bring balance and awareness to that whole structure? And then you can start to do more challenging exercises, of course, with people when they start to be able to do their balance. So standing on a wobble board or, you know, different things, making things fun. In your book, you mention and how the feet have 26 bones, Mm. 33 joints and 100 ligaments and tendons. Like there is so much going on in there. There are so many moving parts. Yeah, so many moving parts. You know, it has the same amount of joints as the spine. In theory, therefore, our feet should be as mobile as our spine and vice versa. So wherever you have a joint, it means that something is supposed to move. That's Mm -hmm. what a joint does. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet most people have feet that either don't move in paces or they're totally in hypermobility. Obviously, a lot of pronation, overpronation, flat Mm -hmm. feet. Mm -hmm. So the tissue has been not allowed. It's just the quality of the tissue has dropped and that has caused the flat feet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes by working the tissue in the feet, you can rebuild the arches and you can Mm -hmm. give people strong feet again. So the feet are fascinating. Mm -hmm. I love working with feet because if you can change someone's foot, you can change their whole interpretation of, you know, their whole body, you know? Right. Um, Right. In my clinic, I have, and some of your listeners might have been on reformer machines, you know, the Pilates Mm -hmm. equipment, there's a reformer Mm -hmm. bed. And a lot of that is obviously it's very safe because you're lying down and you have your feet making contact with the surface and you get to do exercise in a very safe way. But when you get off of that machine and you stand up, people are like, wow, I feel so different because Mm -hmm. it's the first time that they've really paid attention to when you come back up into standing, they're like, wow, I feel amazing. I feel different. I feel weird. You know, whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever they say is good because the brain's gone, oh, this is a bit different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's great. That's all you Mm -hmm. want. You want them to say, I feel different. Then you've started a different pathway. 
I, it reminds me of in the Aleutian Islands off the coast of Alaska, the kayaks that they build were frame um, mm-hmm. and the, the frames were all tied with sinew and then mm-hmm. it was covered with skin. And so different than the kayaks in Greenland, which were, hmm. or I guess there were other kayaks that are planks or we think of kayaks as being solid, but mm-hmm. these Arctic kayaks all had joints, like oh, 133 wow. different joints, because when you went out into the ocean, you really needed to be able to flex and bend and flow oh. so that your boat didn't crash or yeah, didn't break or wasn't clever. crushed by waves. And so yes. I think about the power, the pounding that our feet take. Exactly. We really need to be able to flex and flow with the yeah. variation that we anticipate on the ground, yes. although that no longer happens as we walk on, you know, wood floors or sidewalks yeah. or we have shoes yeah. that exactly immobilize our feet. Yeah. So shoes are obviously, you know, necessary, but also not great for our feet because, mm-hmm. like you say, they're stuck in one position. And especially if you wear the same pair of shoes every day because yeah. your feet do not experience anything else. So they yeah. kind of get stuck in the same pattern. So I like people, if they can, I know it's not always accessible, but to walk a little bit barefoot at home uh-huh. just to stimulate the feet and, and wake them up. So it's really, really important. But the foot really needs to be sort of a mobile adapter yeah mobile enough to adapt to the floor to the surfaces that it's on but rigid enough to have stability so it's quite a complex structure that Mm. it needs Mm -hmm. mobility but it does need some structure to it so Mm -hmm. some rigidity Mm -hmm. um, but not fixed rigidity so it's really it's interesting. Um, it is very complicated. There's. It's also mm. making me think, I saw a patient in clinic this week who has neuropathy in his feet mm. and yeah. his balance was somewhat poor because yeah. when you can't perceive the bottom of your feet, we think of our balance as coming from somewhere in our head or yeah. our ears, but yeah. it's really, you really have, you have a mind in your feet that is perceiving Absolutely. and sending the signal. Absolutely. The foot almost has to open up into the ground to receive the information and then it sends that force back up through the legs, through the pelvis, all the way up the spine. So there's always an opposing force pushing us back up. Otherwise, we would just be collapsed on the floor all day. Yes. So... (laughs) And the foot, yeah, the foot is that structure that pushes that information back up. Yes. Um, which obviously it can't do very well when you're in shoes. But, yes. you know, what can Especially you Especially high yeah. heels. Let's talk oh, about yeah. how terrible those are. <laughs> oh, very bad. Very bad. For lots very. of reasons, aren't they? But yes. we've all worn them. You know, yeah. I've, I've been guilty of wearing high heels. Yes. Um, but boy, do my feet hurt afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> We're on to the last component of your program, yeah. which is posture. So talk to posture. us about posture and this, I love this word, tensegrity. So talk tensegrity. to us. Tensegrity, yeah. Yes, such so a pretty tensegrity, word. Tensegrity, yeah, it's awesome. And now it's become biotensegrity as they apply it to mm. the body. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'll talk to, because probably that's quite, again, a new concept um, mm-hmm. that maybe people haven't heard of but I I think it really explains the how the body organizes itself so in my book I say that you know posture I don't believe is something that I can teach it's because I could say to someone stand up straight pull your shoulders back Mm -hmm. you know lift your chest whatever Uh, but it's just a mechanical information so you would do it 
But it, you would walk out of my clinic and you would go, oh, goodness, I can't hold on to that. That's terrible. It really hurts. It's hard work. So it would never last. <clears throat> so posture has to come from inside. And I see that it kind of emerges. The more that people work on their body and they work on proprioception and balance and all these elements come together, this posture starts to change. And that's really great because then it's with them forever. Their sensory system has understood where their head should be in space, where their feet are, where this, and then they've got it forever. It's, you'll never lose it because it's not something that someone said to you, do this, do that, you know? So uh, posture is kind of the last element because it brings everything together under mm -hmm. one umbrella, okay? And yeah, I was saying this new concept of biotensegrity is really, and it's like those toys, you might have seen children's toys. I don't even know if they're called tensegrity toys, but have you ever seen those toys that have like wooden struts mm -hmm. and then they're joined together by um, elastic kind of cables mm -hmm. and none of the wooden struts touch each other? but it still maintains its shape. So if, if your listeners Google tensegrity, you can see amazing structures like um, bridges and architectural things that are made in a tensegrity model. And it's really amazing to look at. So yeah, none of the pieces in these structures are touching each other. So it's really fascinating. And so the new theory is, and there's a whole book on biotensegrity, if anyone's interested in reading more about it, is that the body... We always used to think that the body is stacked and bones were stacked on top of each other. But that, again, gives you that idea of rigidity, that we're mm -hmm. stacked. So what this new theory is saying, the bones are not touching and there's this internal pressure and it keeps the bones apart. So that gives you that sense of fluidity. So the fascia is kind of expanding. So we don't, we're not linear, right? We don't just go up and down. We're multi-directional. The fascia works in spirals. And so everything is expanding out of the center. And that's what holds us up. It's mm. this pressurized system. And it's really, it's fascinating. And it so is. I see posture as that. So the feet are being drawn down, but there's this force coming up. And then there's forces coming out of the sides of your body and diagonally across your body. And so it's everything. It's not mm -hmm. just your bones being stacked one on top of the other. It doesn't work like that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's a fascinating subject. And I'd say there's a, a whole book on it if um, people would like to read up on it more. And I definitely Google and have a look at some of the tensegrity buildings out there and, mm -hmm. and architectures because you'll really understand what, what they mean about things being strong, which we are, bodies can be strong and stable, and yet things don't have to touch. Inside our body, we have spaces, mm -hmm. and those spaces are causing this sort of pressure. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's really interesting. The book would explain it. The guy who wrote the book would explain it a lot, you know, in a lot more detail than me, but hopefully that gives an idea of this concept. Who's the author? Do you know, do you remember the author's name? I think... Yes, David is a book on fascia. Graham Scar, exactly. Okay. So he's the author of this book on tensegrity, and it's a really interesting read if anyone is interested in looking into that. Um, he talks about the fascia, and yeah, it's very interesting. But it, again, it's a new concept. It's not proven as such, but it totally makes sense if you look mm -hmm. at the body in this way. Mm. So we've talked about your six principles, the breath, the yes. relaxation, proprioception, stability, balance, and posture. And tell us about yes. the components where you've put this all together into your integral movement method, your, the IMM. Talk yes. to us about this. 
the method, as the name says, it really looks at the body as a whole. So it's integral. So, you know, it's, it's not another part of the body. So mm-hmm. it really takes that into account. And the, and the first element of it, which I spend a lot of time on, is what we call unwind. And we mm-hmm. talked about this earlier, this idea that if you've been in pain or you've been, you know, traumatized or you're stressed, we hold tension in the body. It's normal. Mm-hmm. And then what I help people do is facilitate the unwinding of that tension, make them become aware of it. And then they start to move with this sense of letting go of that tension. So the the next step is explore. So, and I really like the word explore because it's not like Mm -hmm. you have to do it perfectly. So I want them to just, okay, if you're lying down, just explore lifting your arm up and down or moving your leg or, you know, it's not necessarily doing an exercise, but what does it feel like to just lift your arm without that tension? Mm -hmm. So I get people to start to move about without that idea of being tense. But then, of course, what will happen is typically the body will remember its old pattern. So it might start to tense up again. So then we have to pause and we have to kind of assess and say, okay, what's what's going on here? So we look at it, we reassess and then we start moving again. So it's all about reinforcement because... If you carry on, the body will never learn that we don't want you to move in that old pattern anymore. So we pause, we look again, we say, okay, am I still breathing? Oh, no, I've stopped breathing. Oh, I've tensed up my shoulders. Oh, whatever it might be, everyone would do something differently. And then we try again. So we move again. And we go through this cycle where you constantly pause and stop and pause and stop to reassess and then refine it so that you eventually break that old movement pattern. And hopefully you have this new one that comes from a different place. So it doesn't come from fear or stress or fear of movement. It comes from this place where you've explored, you've experienced movement without that tension in your body. Mm -hmm. And then you can move on because once you become softer, I talk about being soft, you know, Mm -hmm. rather than having hard edges. I mean, I say that for a lot of my life, I felt I was very hard Mm -hmm. and I don't mean hard as a person. I mean, I felt my body was hard. It had hard Mm -hmm. surfaces Mm -hmm. um, because I was holding it with such rigidity and tension Mm -hmm. that I didn't know what softness was. Now, when I discovered what softness was, I found a freedom of movement that was just amazing. And so I like people to try and experience this idea of softness so that we move without that rigidity. So the IMM is really taking them from one movement pattern, which might be led by fear or pain, and taking them to a softer place as their feelings and hopefully come out the other side feeling you know, more connected with their body. Um, and that's really what it's about is feeling that, real deep connection about where movement comes from and how it feels and and hopefully movement is something to enjoy not to be feared because it's such you know it's it's such a shame to have that fear of movement Mm -hmm. in you know deep inside your head so it is possible to reprogram that and um, people start to enjoy movement they start to take up sports and you know activities that they thought they couldn't do anymore which is wonderful you know Mm. So, yeah, that's the kind of the stages. It's a kind of a cycle. So in the book, I put it in a sort of a circular diagram because it's constant. It's all you're almost peeling an onion constantly because you'll take off one layer and then 
maybe another fear or another stress is there and it's like, okay, where's that coming from? What can we do to strip that layer back? And then we strip another layer back. And it's very gradual and, you know, it's at the person's own pace. And yeah, and that just brings you deeper and deeper into your body, which is really, really lovely. And this is going to be, of course, iterative across seasons. So when you put thicker shoes on and, you know, tighter pants and when you then start wearing lighter clothing or sandals in the summer and then of course across the ages so as your body changes if you've Mm -hmm. had accidents or injuries if you've delivered babies or carried babies in pregnancy if you've you know however you you get a new job and suddenly you were sitting for eight hours and now you're standing behind a desk for eight hours or now you're moving or now you're in your car so there is really no end to what we have to listen to that occurs in our bodies Absolutely. It's constant, you know, it's constant change. And I think that's right. You know, you wouldn't want things to be stuck. The sunset is a new sunset every day. So if we can see its beauty one day, we can, there is the potential to see its beauty and pay attention every day. And that's, I think what makes a good life. Absolutely. And the body, you know, the body and mind has so much to offer when it's sort of tapped into in the right way. But we have so many of these beliefs, these sort of inner beliefs and, and you know, beliefs about our abilities or ourself or pain or whatever it might be. And those really hold us back. So if yep. we can break those down however we can, um, and I do it through movement and, you know, there are lots of other ways of doing it. So what you know and what you offer is an incredible service because what you're really helping people do is get to know their own bodies, this real intimate relationship with this body that we live inside of. Can you talk to us a little bit about if people are curious and want to know more, want to access your services, what are all the ways that they can do that? There's lots of ways, actually. So I have a YouTube channel where every week, every Thursday, I do release a video on tips and information on how to move. So little three, four, five minute snippets. So if people just want to consume little bits and learn a little bit more about how I, you know, explain things and talk through things, that's an easy way to do that. So if they just subscribe to the channel, they'll get a sort of a weekly video. And then obviously, as you mentioned, I have my two books. So Pilates Without Tears and Hypermobility Without Tears. So that Pilates Without Tears really goes into the method in detail and talks Mm -hmm. about Pilates in quite well how I changed and modified Pilates. Um, Hypermobility without tears is more very much about hypermobility and EDS and how I work with people with with those conditions. And then I have um, obviously my website, which is geniedebon.com and the Zebra Club, which which you mentioned earlier, um, which is, you know, my baby. I'm very, very proud of it. It's, you know, growing every month. We have over 80 classes available at the moment. And honestly, if uh, people have a look on my Facebook page, I'm on all social medias as well. If people want to follow me and read about, again, I'm always posting ideas and exercises and things. But, you know, the testimonials on my Facebook page really speak for themselves. Um, Facebook has a number of reviews about the Zebra Club and what goes on in the Zebra Club. So Mm -hmm. there are lots of different ways. I do do um, Zoom consultations as well if anyone wanted to speak to me um, in person um, because I have clients all over the world which is great Um, really Mm -hmm. fantastic I get to meet hypermobile people all over the world (laughs) um, which is brilliant Um, so yeah lots of different ways that they can connect with me and and as I say social media 
um, YouTube, obviously all free resources. But I, and even the Zebra Club, although it's a paid resource, I do try to keep it really, really reasonable for people. You know, I think it works out at like 40 cents a day or something. And obviously mm. it's online, it's access 24-7. So I, you know, it's really it comes, you know, from my heart, this work. And um, mm. I try and make it affordable for people as well. So, yeah, I've tried to think of all the different ways for people to sort of get what they need, whether it's video content, uh, books, or, you know, you know, mm-hmm. face-to-face. So, yeah, there's lots of different options. One struggle for my patients has been to actually find a physical therapist mm-hmm. trained in working with hypermobile clients. Do you have yes. any recommendations or do you do any trainings? Get great. Yeah. Well, I do trainings of therapists and teachers. They used to be in person, obviously, before COVID. They were mm-hmm. courses. Um, now they're online, some of them. I would love to have a directory of people, um, but I don't have that at the moment. I do know that on the EDS Society um, website, I don't know if you know the EDS Society, mm-hmm. they have a health professionals directory, which people can register on. So that is people who are EDS trained or um, aware of EDS. So it's mm-hmm. a good place to start. Obviously, it's a global directory. So you, you know, I've recommended that to a couple of people and they've actually emailed me back and said, oh, thank you. I found a physical therapist and I'm going to see them Great. tomorrow. So, you know, you might get lucky. There might be someone in your area. But as far as I know, that is the only place where you've got a listing of different professionals. And, you know, we're still growing and learning because as you probably know you know EDS has been neglected for so many many Mm -hmm. years Mm -hmm. and so people in medical schools and things they weren't taught about it people out there who know what it is and how to deal with it sadly but you know we keep pushing we keep trying and um, keep spreading awareness as best we can excellent Um, but yeah that's that's an area that we need to work on is getting more people trained in it um, and aware of it, even aware of it or willing to learn about it. And we were talking a little bit before the podcast also, you know, I have my one theory totally unproven that Mm. I think that there is some component of pollution and stress that Mm. interrupts collagen production or collagen organization that when our immune system is so distracted by the inhalation of microplastics in our every breath mm-hmm. that somehow collagen yeah. doesn't lay down correctly. And so I do think that yeah. as just like mast cell, I think we're going to see more and more collagen disruption and more and more systemic yes. dysfunction. Yeah, no, but I think, you know, there's, as we were talking earlier, you know, we, I see it all the time and it, it's a well-known fact that things often get triggered in times of stress or, or trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. why is that? What is it about a stressful incident that suddenly triggers the symptoms of EDS you know people Mm -hmm. are fine people come to see me and they say I don't understand it I was running marathons I was hiking mountains and now I can't even brush my teeth without pain I mean what's going on and something happened and so a light switch went Mm -hmm. and that was it something flipped and their life was turned upside down now why does that happen you know there needs to be more research into that but yeah stress is it you know, like you say, pollution, you know, there's so many people with chemical sensitivities and light sensitivities and, you know, weird sensitivities, but they have EDS as well. Why is that? You know, what's going on? So there must be something in it. I I agree with you, but 
you know, we definitely need more research. In our clinic, we use a lot of Ayurveda to help mm. the body heal and to help nice. the body kind of put itself back together. Nice. Sometimes we talk a little bit about cell danger response and the mitochondrial mm. impact of perception of threat and that yes. if the mitochondria can't kind of come to find a, a steady, stable kind of back to zero mm-hmm. um, from the threat, then symptoms can persist yes. ongoing. Um, yeah. And Ayurveda can be very helpful for that. But yes, but we do, you know, we need in the meantime, before we kind of figure that all out or before that becomes available, we really need more of you in the world talking mm-hmm. to people about listening to their bodies, paying attention, yeah. building awareness, building skills, finding relaxation, unwinding, etc. So thank you so, so much. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That was lovely. Very far-reaching discussion there. Absolutely. That was amazing. Thank (laughs) Thank you. you. Thank you for inviting me again. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much. You, I mean, you have so much to offer. You've given us so much today to work with. Oh. Even starting with that simple piece of if you are listening to this, wherever you are, take a deep breath into the back yeah. of your body. You know, yeah. all of those components are things. This is a podcast that surely people can listen to over and over just and follow along and then well, track your so. videos and join the Zebra Club. So. And, yeah. So thank you for listening today with physical therapist Jeannie Debon from London, coming to us from London. We've got lots of ways to continue this conversation through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can get more information from and about her at her YouTube site and her website, JeannieDebon.com, J-E-A-N-N-I-E-D-I-B-O-N.com. And you can find more about us at our website, CenterForHealingNeurology.com. Please be sure to share the show with everybody you know, and especially those who are hypermobile, who <laughs> don't like sports, don't who hide in the woods instead of running the mile in gym class and PE. And be sure to review, and we welcome your rating wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to send your topic requests to podcast at centerforhealingneurology.com. And we love that you've joined us today to discuss how to make our whole world medicine. We rise or fall together and are committed to doing what we can to make as many of us as healthy as possible. And this takes all of us, including you. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.